Good afternoon, if you're listening in the afternoon. As you might have heard me say a few minutes ago, every story has a turning point, and we have no kind of, no idea right now what kind of story we're in and whether this, this being the dismissal of FBI Director James Comey, represents a turning point. We can look back to other stories that were like it and assess what the turning points were. But in any case, it seemed wrong we had a different plan for today. It seemed wrong to go ahead of, ahead with that plan because it does seem at least possible that we are witnessing some fairly significant turning point in the story of Donald Trump. A lot of other things have gone on during the last 24 to 36 hours. Other things uh, are rising to the front uh, of the storyline, including the revelation by both the New York Times and the Washington Post in the last few hours that, uh, that James Comey had gone to Rod Rosenstein, the man who would ultimately draft the letter firing him, uh, but had recently gone to that man, the deputy attorney general, to ask for more resources into the so-called Russia investigation. So once again, that tends to make one think that there were other reasons besides those cited for the firing of FBI Director James Comey. So let me tell you a little bit about what we'll do here today. Uh, Later on in the show, you'll hear writer at large uh, Frank Rich from New York Magazine, longtime New York Times columnist before that, and now also executive producer of the sitcom Veep, which seems with each passing day less like fiction uh, and more like a comic imitation of reality. Also joining us later on the show today, U.S. Senator Christopher Murphy. We'll also try to take your phone calls. I know you have questions and observations of your own. Our number, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. But we're going to begin with one of the people I first thought of last evening around 545 or 6 o'clock when the push notification popped out on my phone as I was driving to a dinner appointment. I thought about Lowell Weicker, former U.S. senator who served on the Senate Watergate Committee, also former governor of Connecticut, someone who has lived through at least the experience of seeing a president fire someone who was leading an investigation into his campaign activities. That's one of the things that was Watergate. Uh, This may not be a precise parallel, but it's close enough so that we'd want to hear from this man today. So first of all, Lowell Weicker, Senator, Governor, uh, welcome back to our show. Colin, good to talk to you. So um, I'll ask you the obvious question. I mean, there are many differences between this particular moment in the story of President Donald Trump and the so-called Saturday Night Massacre in the story of Richard Nixon. Are there similarities, though? Are there ways in which this reminds you uh, of the good old days? (laughs) Days that weren't so good. Yeah. Um, It's too early, Colin. In other words... What we want to know is our facts. Mm-hmm. The facts, in other words, that relate to the Russian connection relative to our elections. Mm-hmm. The facts as to what really brought about the firing of James Comey. I mean, the excuse given was the Hillary Clinton investigation. Well, if they, that was the case, they could have done it months ago. So it clearly wasn't the reason. There's too much we don't know. And I think the only way we're going to get at uh, the answer is to appoint a special prosecutor. Um, Where do you think that special prosecutor can come from? I mean, it can come from the executive branch and it can come from the legislative branch. But for it to come from the legislative branch, Republicans in Congress have to be troubled enough by this to put uh, to put democracy ahead of party. So what are your thoughts about that? 
Well, I think your special prosecutor should come from the private sector. I think that any attempt to politicize the special prosecutor, either by Republicans or by Democrats, is going to be seen as just that by the American public and, uh, you know, won't, won't be accepted. So I think it has to come from the private sector, somebody that everybody realizes has an independent streak and, and can't be, can't be uh, bullied around by either party. But someone has to appoint that special prosecutor. Would it be the attorney general uh, or would it be some aspect of Senate or House leadership? I think probably House Senate leadership. Uh, I mean, what's what's brought us to this point is that we don't have answers. Mm -hmm. And no matter what committee, whether it's at the Senate or the House, is investigating, nobody is going to take their findings as the truth. And what the American public wants is the truth. When we started out in Watergate, nobody in the public thought the president was, quote, guilty. Mm -hmm. Nobody. Presidents didn't do bad things. And it took a long time before that public opinion turned around and went against Nixon. At the beginning of the Watergate, I was roundly booed and given the finger by everybody in Connecticut because uh, they thought that I was on some wild goose chase was being disrespectful. By the time it ended, uh, you know, I was taken into everybody's bosom as their <laughs> dearest friend. So what we've got to do now is to really find out what the real facts are. I mean, I find the fact that Comey was fired, and the next day there's a picture of the president with the Russian ambassador. Boy, to me, a picture's worth a thousand words. I mean, what the hell's going on here? So uh, let's get to the bottom of it. Right. And I don't know whether you're aware of this, but the picture you saw was offered probably to you via TASS, uh, the I'm Russian correct. news agency, because the um, the American free press was not welcome at this meeting between uh, Donald Trump and uh, and Lavrov and Kislyak. Well, only the Russian press could be there. And, you know, I mean, you know, if you go back to Watergate, Watergate was accomplished by a, a bunch of different entities. But ultimately, it was accomplished by uh, a group of people in Congress, including yourself and the press. And it does seem as though, you know, that, that, that Donald Trump's self-declared hatred of the press is a part of this story. He, much earlier than, than Richard Nixon, has decided to label the press openly as an enemy. Does that concern you? Trump's regard of the press? Yeah. Yeah, sure it does. I mean, I think the man is living in a, a dream world as far as what it, what it is to be president of the United States. That automatically throws you right out there in the free press. Now, the free press is not against the president. You might have a percentage that are, but in the main, the free press is a very wise institution and follows facts. So I think that uh, Trump's hatred of the press is the fact that he has never been scrutinized by the press when he was in the private sector, except as he chose to be scrutinized. When you're president, you don't choose to be scrutinized. You are. So it sounds as though, and, and I, I support this sentiment, but it, it sounds as though right now you're more curious than anything else, um, that you, you'd like to know 
what the rest of this story is. And I guess the question becomes, do we really have the mechanism in this country right now, given the the current political constitution of uh, the United States, do we have the, the will and the mechanism to get to the truth? I think that's the real question. I think you've nailed it. Uh, we arrived at the choice of Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump out of 350 million Americans because most of us weren't interested. Mm. We had forgotten about our duty to vote and to go ahead and make choices. So we were stuck with these two individuals. And now the one that won is coming up in a very unflattering light. Uh, do we have the will to make sure that we have special counsel or special prosecutor? I think the answer has to be yes. You cannot have a foreign power like the Soviet Union involved in any way in, a, in our election process. And obviously they were. Let's find out why and let's find out who invited them to the party. All right. So uh, last question. Are you optimistic? About what? Well, uh, about us. I mean, in other words, one could decide to perceive this, this moment itself, as a constitutional crisis in which a president has taken the act of firing somebody who was at that moment leading an investigation into, at minimum, his campaign activities, at maximum, his and his associates' ties to the Russian government. So one could sort of say, wow, we've really hit an incredibly low moment in this cycle. Or if one were more optimistic, one would say, all right, no, this this is the beginning of our ability to to get the answers. So, well, yeah, go ahead. The, the difficulty I have with that is that that would involve us sort of going from Watergate to Trump to the next scandal as a way of running our government. Mm. And it's not. Actually, what I'm looking forward to more than anything else is the midterm election of 2018 to see whether we're going to have a correction in our political lineup. If the American people participate, then all's well. If they don't, we're just going from bad to worse. All right. Lowell Weicker, thank you so much for your time. It is great to have a senator and a governor and a veteran of Watergate, among many other crises, to talk to at a time like this. Thank you, Colin. It's good to be with you. All right. So what we're going to do now is take a break. In, in a little while, Frank Rich will be joining us. Uh, and But I also want to leave some time here and there for your phone calls. If there's things you want to ask, things you want to say, call 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. Otherwise, I'll also use a little bit of the free time to bring you up to date on uh, anything that's happened or surfaced in, in the last few, I don't know, minutes. Hi, I just also want to say, uh, this is Colin again, we're doing a special live coverage today of uh, the fallout from the firing of uh, FBI Director James Comey. I also want to just make sure I say a quick thank you to some of the people who uh, decided to help uh, me make this happen. We're a little bit shorthanded today. Katie Tularski, our executive producer, is under the weather. Uh, Kylan Wolf was unavailable to us. But uh, Betsy Kaplan has pulled this show together, as only Betsy Kaplan can. Uh, Lydia Brown is uh, joining us for help in the other uh, production room. So uh, I'm lucky to have both of them. We're marching into battle together. Uh, and we have a very interesting story in front of us. And I think we have Frank Rich up and ready to go. So if you just 
just calling in, Tom and Jim, uh, I promise I will try to get to your phone calls, uh, as I will with anybody else who calls in. But we're also uh, very fortunate uh, to have with us Frank Rich, uh, who is a writer at large for New York Magazine and executive producer of Veep. Um, so, Frank, uh, on a day like this, first of all, you must feel as though, once again, the Trump administration is going head-to-head with Veep in terms of trying to produce outlandish and, at times, comical uh, political theater. Yes. I, <laughs> good to talk to you, Colin. Yeah. Yes, I think um, that's the case, although the Trump version of it is, I don't think it's funny as what we <laughs> we try to come up with on the show. Um you know, I mean, one thing about Veep, we don't. I should hasten to add for those who haven't seen it, we don't have a Trump character or a Clinton character or an Obama character. We're sort of an alternative reality version of Washington where, indeed, every politician is craven and interested only in preserving his or her own power and does outrageous things um, all the time. Uh, in the case of uh Trump, however, with the actual real United States and real Washington, um, you know, he's about to, he seems to be determined to plunge us into a constitutional crisis. There are so many little details that uh, that do uh, I, they just verge so much in, into the bizarre. So, you know, as we know, today uh, there was the meeting between President Trump and uh, Kislyak and Lavrov uh, from the Russian government. We know that the American, quote unquote, free press uh, was not welcome at that meeting. But the Russian press was unbelievable. Yeah. And but just also and I, I want you to say something about that. But as a little button on that. And I think this is from Vox's coverage. I can't I can't remember whose coverage I'm reading right now. It says after the Lavrov session had concluded. Members of the U.S. media were allowed into the Oval Office, where they found the president sitting with Henry Kissinger. The meeting hadn't been listed on the president's official schedule. Trump said he and Kissinger had met to talk, quote, about Russia and various other matters, unquote, according to the pool report. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, yeah, I, I heard that. So here's the thing. On uh, One of my points about Trump is that uh, He's completely incompetent in everything he does, including this sort of gangsterism that's going on now. First of all, if you're going to to roll out this Comey firing uh, at the at the uh, because Comey obvi- obviously because Comey is uh, um, was getting getting somewhere in the investigation of, of collusion with Russia, why would you do this the night before when the only public event you have scheduled <laughs> is the meeting with the Russian foreign minister, and then the Kissinger piece of it, for heaven's sakes, you know, where's Alexander Haig? He should be dug up, too, so we can have all the Watergate reminders we possibly can uh, in in one day. Uh, it's, 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 um, it's amazing. I mean, it's, 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 it's astounding, and uh, the one thing I take heart from is that he's, he's so clueless. That he didn't, obviously, the White House didn't think that anyone would react to this last night. Um, that uh, I don't think he's going to be successful at protecting himself over the long haul, maybe not even the short haul. Right. I was going to ask you about that, that what's being offered up via lots of sources to lots of legacy media outlets is the claim that, you know, as the as Trump and his closest Confederates were 
uh, were planning how this was going to go, they didn't really think they needed much of a plan at all, that their working hypothesis was that the Democrats are still mad at Comey over things that happened in 2016. Uh, They're mad at Comey about a whole bunch of other stuff. No one is going to complain if this stooge gets uh, sent to the door. And and it didn't occur to them that there were tripwires that would be kicked by this. It's it's such a, a wild misreading and complete misreading of the political culture uh, in the country and among Democrats that it shows that they're completely isolated um, because I don't know how they would think that. Sure, Democrats were uh, uh, furious about Comey's handling of the uh, Clinton uh, email server uh, and have continued to be furious about it. And, you know, maybe some at the White House read a lot of Paul Krugman columns where he said Comey was entirely responsible for the election result, not something I believe. But even if you took that literally, the thought that that Democrats and liberals would love to see Comey fired in the midst of everything else that's going on, it shows they're completely out of touch. I mean, and that is good news for those who want justice done, because I think they're going to continue to make other miscalculations. Uh, This is not something that can be solved in the White House by bringing in whatever today's equivalent of a David Gergen is or whatever, some wise, you know, head to sort it all out. Uh, They don't know what they're doing. They do not. And and I also think the cover up, which there seems to be, and this is part of, is going to fall apart fairly fast because uh, they're they're not as good at Nixon and Kissinger and others at doing this kind of stuff. One of the uh, concepts, one of the tropes that we all keep using, and I'm less and less confident about it, is the term distraction. You know, that maybe, uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you should pardon this particular image, but the distractions are becoming like those Russian nesting dolls, you know, that, um, you know, that, that uh, I don't know, something is a distra- distraction from the health care plan, but that's a distraction from the Kushner family's activities in China, and this is a distraction from the, uh, the last thing. I mean, not everything can be a distraction, right? <laughs> no, I, I don't think it can be. You know, and by the way, here's one real parallel that keeps coming to mind about Veep. Veep, five years ago, six years ago, the very first episode, the pilot of the show, um, had a moment where Selena, the Julie Reed Dreyfus, incompetent vice president at that time, said was caught in a mini scandal she used the word retard in a public utterance and it was spreading like wildfire through the media her idiotic uh, press secretary the sean spicer of uh, veep if you will um said well i here's my media strategy what if uh, uh, tom hanks dies tom hanks dies and everyone will forget about all this and, it, and that was the media strategy. Tom Hanks did not die, and it didn't work. And I think now, as you said, we're seeing these Russian nesting dolls. It's just not going to keep working. And also, the, there are going to be new stories that are going to take have legs and take wing. For instance, just earlier this week, Jared Kushner's uh, sister, in essence, peddling uh, immigration visas to the Chinese in exchange for $500,000 investments in a Kushner family real estate project in Jersey City. This this is a whole new character, this this Jared Kushner's uh, sister, Nicole Meyer, I think her name is. Uh, we're, gonna, we're now going to learn a lot about her. That's going to be a whole other story to follow. We're going to learn uh, so much more about all these people, and there are going to be so many stories on top of stories that uh, I think it's going to drown out any, you know, tweets that or stunts that Trump has to try to distract us. 
Although, for example, on Tuesday night, federal prosecutors subpoenaed associates of, of Michael Flynn. Um, they, they issued grand jury subpoenas uh, trying to find out a little bit more uh, uh, about uh, his associations and, and where money has or has not gone. And also Tuesday night, um, the Mark Warner's uh, Senate Intelligence Committee uh, asked the Treasury to look for financial ties between Team Trump and Team Russia. This is using a division of, of a Treasury called the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. They're the people who really do follow the money. But I guess I sometimes wonder, Frank, about our intellectual bandwidth. You know, the expression drinking from a fire hose is kind of overused these days. But, you know, all of these things become very very, very difficult to follow uh, when they exist in such plenitude. There's a way in which Trump in the past has been very good at flooding the zone. And I'm wondering if the zone's getting flooded even more. Maybe so. But I do think that there will be more headline events like the Comey firing that will uh, focus people's attention on the overall picture, even if they miss a lot of the individual um, elements. Look, take Flynn, for example, whatever, you know, the subpoenas and all that notwithstanding and the new developments you cited, this is a guy who does not want to go to prison. Mm -hmm. And clearly Trump is scared of him because even after uh, Flynn was fired or resigned or whatever, they couldn't even get that story straight, um, Trump has continued to praise him. And to me, it's just a bold effort on Trump's part to try to hush him up. And um, it it probably isn't going to work because this guy – is going to be afraid of the, his legal consequences, and he and he has already asked for, uh, uh, you know, uh, to 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 get a waiver from Congress about testifying and get immunity, which he wasn't granted. And I think um, there are just going to be more headline events. We don't know what they are, but even last night, John McCain, speaking before some group, said as much. He said, "This is just it's not going to be kept under control. They're going to be." more more news events, essentially, that are going to rivet people's attention. Yeah, I thought that was a very important thing. You just, uh, Frank Rich, who we're talking to you right now, you just had some uh, stuff go up uh, on the New York Magazine website. And I thought that was a, an important point that you made, that it's, it's easy to lose sight of. Every federal prosecutor I've ever spoken to ha- has said there is no such thing as a true believer once you get them in the room and they're facing charges. You know, G. Gordon Liddy can hold his hand over candles, but by and large, people who are in the position that Michael Flynn is going to be in and, and anybody else like that, any co-conspirator, Those people will put their mother in the jackpot in 15 seconds to try to get out of the trouble that they're in. And uh, yeah, and that's and that's what's going to happen. For instance, we you know the the big piece of information from uh, Sally Yates that uh, it's hard to believe this has all happened this week. That there was an 18 day gap between when she notified uh, the White House counsel, who I now think is also in some jeopardy, that. Flynn had lied about his dealings with the Russians. Um, the 18 gap between that and forcing him out or wherever they got him out, what happened during those 18 days? Who knew what when? I think people are going to have to lawyer up, and I think they're going to start toy- uh, turning on each other. And and firing, <coughs> firing Comey is frankly not going to have any effect on that. Right. I, I do, did think that our own extremely exciting U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal made a pretty good point during, <laughs> during the uh, – 
during the Sally Yates testimony, which was that, you know, the, what happened in the at the end of those 18 days is that the whole thing became public. Uh, and he said, had that not happened, chances are Michael Flynn would still be in his job. There was no particular reason that Trump had uh, to get him out of there. In fact, Trump, I think, said at one point the only problem he ever had with Flynn was lying to Mike Pence. He didn't care about any of this other stuff. Exactly. And by the way, it shows how... Uh, Trump is 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 uh, you know floundering here to go on a tie, a Twitter a Twitter tirade about, about you know your distinguished senator Mr. Blumenthal. I mean this is this is the kind of nonsense that he, that he's thinking is going to make a difference in the public perception of what he's doing. And, I, and there's one other factor too, Colin. I would throw into this, which is nothing is going to get done in Washington even before this happened. The idea that there would now really magically be a, a, a new Senate Trump care bill that would replace the House one and somehow get through Congress and onto his desk. That wasn't going to happen anyway. Now it's really not going to happen. Tax legislation that Trump wanted and his party wants, or at least his donors want, is going to be stalled and derailed. Um, there's going to be angry town hall meetings for incumbent Republicans facing re-election in 2018. Everything's going to come to a halt, and ultimately, even I think some Trump voters who don't care about the Russian stuff or think it's great, for all I know, think Putin's great as he does, stuff is not going to get done, and they're going to get angry for other reasons. And and Trump has nothing to show for his presidency except essentially executive orders, uh, many of which, the most important ones, have been blown up either by uh, the courts or by Congress anyway. So, Frank Rich, we're going to let you go because we know that you have a very busy life these days, both in the uh, nonfiction and fiction uh, universe. But uh, I want to thank you very much for, for checking in with us today. I will offer you as one uh, quick parting gift, yes. as they say on game shows, but uh, in Politico's uh, TikTok about uh, this thing, which is a, a very good read. At one point, they describe President Trump as becoming enraged anytime he sees anything about the Russian probe uh, on television. And it says uh, he would sometimes scream at television clips about the probe, one advisor said. So, well, uh, you know, someone I guess someone's going to have to tell him that actually that's not happening within the television screen. <laughs> is that I have to remind him it's actually happening in a studio somewhere and they're not going to hear him. Right. It wasn't Nixon. I think we found this out in the last Woodward book uh, about yes. did Nixon talk to paintings. He like yes. walk him. Yeah. Exactly. And so uh, Trump's talking to the animated version of paintings, if you will. Right. Well, that's 2017 for you. Uh, all right. Thanks, Frank Rich. <laughs> Thanks very much. By the way, this past weekend's episode of Veep was maybe the funniest episode ever. Oh, uh, thank you. So oh, we were, that's wonderful. We thank were screaming. You. All right. Uh, we're going to take. Oh, no, we're not going to take a break. We're going to take phone calls. Right. That's what we're going to do. We're <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we're working with a little less of a script here than usual. Anyway, great to talk to Frank Rich. We will take your phone calls now, 860-275-7266. Still to come um, uh, is uh, U.S. Senator Chris Murphy, uh, who has been a loud and forceful voice about this uh, subject as well. Let's talk to Leah in New London. Hi, Leah. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. I enjoy your show. Well, thank you. Um, I I was wondering, like someone said, you can't serve both the good of the country and mammon. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if uh, Trump is kind of deliberately self-sabotaging himself to kind of resign as a martyr, but keep his empire intact. 
you know, so he can keep some um, respect and not have everything unravel. You know, this is a very interesting scenario. I'll say this, having covered a number of government crises uh, and having lived through some things that were a little bit like this, typically, and there's nothing typical about Donald Trump, so you know, any scenario you might want to posit can't be rejected out of hand based on prior experience. Prior experience is a very imperfect teacher in this situation. Typically, what people do in situations like this, if they think they're under siege, if they feel as though the hounds are starting to pursue them, which I think is a reasonable surmise here, typically what they do, and, and, which, and they're sort of wise to do it, is hold their position and, and press down harder on the trigger of the machine gun. In other words, it's like being in a machine gun nest. You don't want to be overrun by the people coming up the hill, so you just never stop firing. And I've seen a number of public officials who are in a lot of trouble do that. Now, as you say, this guy has a completely different storyline for himself. But, but in general, if he, if he doesn't want to be overrun, uh, he's probably wise to stay right where he is uh, and just keep firing back for as long as he possibly can. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense, but I just think that it's um, the most important thing to him is his money and all of his holdings and everything. Right. There certainly came a point. And thank you so much, Aaliyah, uh, calling from New London. There certainly has come a point for Donald Trump where it's clear that the presidency, you know, most presidents monetize their presidencies after they're gone. You know, the Clintons famously left uh, the White House, according to Hillary Clinton, dead broke and now are worth, you know, probably a, a billion dollars if you add up everything. <laughs> so um, so that's usually how you do it. Um, but Donald Trump is maybe the first president to say, no, actually, my family and I can get rich. We can go from being sort of an Arivist group of rich family members to, if we play our cards right, if we squeeze this lemon in every possible way, something on the order of what the Rockefellers and Carnegies were of old. We can be sort of that rich and that powerful. Uh, that clearly is part of the narrative here and one of the reasons that the Trump business engine just keeps cooking along here, despite the fact that he's also president. However, I'm, I'm not sure that's driving his decision making right now. If it is, he has failed to grasp the situation that he's in. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll have more of your phone calls. We're going to have Chris Murphy. Who knows what else we'll have? Everybody knows that the president lies. Everybody knows that the president lies. Everybody knows that the president lies. Ain't no big surprise. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kion Wolf. The part of Bill Curry was played by Elliot Richardson. On tomorrow's show, we're going to find out whether or not we are all irretrievably doomed. Good times. And now, back to Colin. All right. Uh, this is our live coverage of the aftermath of the firing of James Comey, FBI director. Uh, we're going to have Chris Murphy on here in just a second or two uh, while we're getting ready for that. Let me uh, quickly try to take a few of your phone calls, those of you who've been waiting. Hi, Tom. Tom from West Hartford. Hi. How are you? Good. My big question would be, and I guess for Senator Murphy it would be a good question, what um, confidence would he have, would you have, would anyone have, in Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan acting in the interest of the country and getting some independent investigations going. Because last night, a lot of people on TV, of course, were talking about let's hear from the Republicans, 
they have to stand up at some point. And I guess my point would be the Republican agenda could get whatever they want with Mike Pence. Why put up with Trump any longer than they have to? Yeah, I mean, my answer to that question would be, and this is, you know, I don't hold myself out as some kind of huge expert in all this. I first of all think that you might need to separate those two guys. McConnell, I think, is going to be one of the last guys to turn out the lights on this. He's in tighter uh, with Donald Trump uh, through his own dealings with Trump, through his wife. Um, uh, my guess is that, uh, that, that for McConnell, this is a much harder thing to think about doing. Uh, going in that particular direction. But um, so you know, but Ryan is in a slightly different uh, situation. Uh, there's doubtless communications going on between Ryan and Reince Priebus uh, and chief of staff there now. They're both from Wisconsin. Um, you know, uh, Ryan, I mean, uh, talking about them as a unit is what we typically do. I'm not quite sure that that's going to be right this time along. And if there's going to be movement anywhere, it'll be from Ryan. But look, the, the, the incentive to do this is low. And the difference between this moment and Watergate is that at the time of Watergate, uh, the Democrats had a majority in each chamber. Uh, it was relatively easy, although President Nixon had been extraordinarily popular in the 1972 election. Uh, but it was relatively easy, given the fact patterns, uh, for the Democrats to get things going. And then you had people like Lowell Weicker and Howard Baker who, who fell into line and became very curious and wanting to know what really was happening. It's a little bit different now, but then here's somebody else who would know better. That is U.S. Senator Chris Murphy. Uh, he has been very much uh, in the leadership role, uh, asking hard questions about the Trump administration. So first of all, welcome back to our show, Chris Murphy. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, one of the things that has been remarkable about this particular moment is the suddenness of it all. It's very hard to keep a secret in Washington, very hard to keep a secret from the FBI. But it appears that the FBI, Dianne Feinstein, like everybody kind of found out about this around 545 yesterday. How is that even possible? Well, it could be possible because the decision was made at the very last minute. It seems as if the paper trail uh, that came out of the assistant attorney general's office was created on the day of the firing. Uh, that letter to Trump is not dated a week ago. It's dated the day that Comey was let go. And I, I think the fact that everyone is adjusting to this news in real time, um, you know, does speak for uh, a need to let people process this. You know, I've already sort of seen the pressure from Democrats that we should hold up all proceedings on the floor starting today because Republicans won't immediately call for a special prosecutor. And you know, I do think it makes some sense to let Republicans um, process this information, sort of get through what is potentially a cataclysmic moment and make the decision whether they want to continue to use Trump as an instrument to try to get their domestic agenda done or whether this is a moment where they can have some kind of break and support either a special prosecutor or a continuation, a guarantee of the continuation of the investigation at the FBI. But they may you know, need to take 24 hours to think through this and think through the consequences of sticking with him. Right. I think, you know, one of your predecessors, Lowell Wecker, was on with us earlier today, and I think he set probably an appropriate tone, at least for the moment. I mean, you can say, you can start yelling, this is fascism, this is tyranny, this is obstruction of justice 
on steroids, and you wouldn't necessarily be wrong, but it seems more appropriate right now to evince a, a lot of curiosity. Like There's so much that we don't know, and, and there are some substantial questions about whether we can know these things just following the ordinary paths of investigations the way they'd been unfolding prior to, to last evening. Um, but then the question becomes, does the mechanism exist for us to know more through some kind of independent prosecutor? What's your sense of, as you take the temperature of Washington right now, what's your sense of whether that's going to happen? Well, I think there's two questions. Is there political will to support a process that could get to the truth? And two, can that process actually get to the truth? Uh, you know, there may not be a definitive tape or a transcript of a conversation uh, in which we get to the bottom of this question of whether Trump himself had knowledge or was involved in political collusion with the Russians. Uh, so even if we had an exhaustive process, uh, it's possible that you might not ever get uh, to the underlying set of facts. But the first question is the more important one now, is that the political will to get there. The Senate investigation happening through the Intelligence Committee is an imperfect one because because that is a committee not designed to do investigations. It's really an oversight committee. Uh, and so they are trying, but they have only a handful of staff. Uh, the FBI, we thought, was the most credible way to get this investigation done, which is why many of us are talking to our Republican colleagues to make sure that they will not give support to a new FBI director unless he commits to keep this investigation open and to staff it with whatever resources uh, it needs. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of questions that we have to ask about whether the investigation actually has the political will to proceed, but then I don't think you can presuppose, it, even if that question is answered affirmatively, whether we actually get to the underlying facts. What you just said is very interesting, though, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about it, how those conversations are going. So in other words, another way that we could get to the facts would be if the FBI investigation proceeded uh, in a very independent manner. Is is that just a matter of picking somebody uh, who's very independent to run the FBI and having everybody at least sort of orally commit to non-interference, or, or is it more than that? Well, there's a story, uh, you know, from about two hours ago on the New York Times, which I believe to be true, uh, that uh, tells a story of Comey going to uh, the White House and to the Attorney General asking for more resources. Remember, uh, Comey is not and was not an independent operator. The FBI director still works um, with and alongside prosecutors. You can't conduct an effective investigation if you don't have prosecutors who are working with you at the Department of Justice. So um, even if the FBI director commits to move forward with the existing investigation, if he doesn't have prosecutors who are ultimately signaling that they're willing to bring charges against people like Carter Page uh, or Michael Flynn, who might ultimately turn and tell the truth, the FBI is maybe not impotent, but is certainly hamstrung. So uh, yet the reason why a lot of us are ultimately calling for this special prosecutor is because it seems as if the high levels of the Department of Justice are not committed to this investigation, even if the FBI is. So you've got to have a marriage there of intention, which doesn't seem to exist. How, how uh, I'm not asking you to name names, but in terms of conversations you might be having, reaching out to Republican colleagues across the aisle, I mean, how what's the mood of those conversations? Are Republican senators open to talking about this as an active problem that needs to be redressed somehow? 
Yeah, and I think the, the reason why I'm recommending you know some degree of, of restraint here, at least over the next 24 hours, is because in my conversations with the Republicans, they're grappling with this in real time. I mean, this shocked them uh, as much as it shocked Democrats or anybody who read about it in the newspapers. So um, they are asking these questions as we speak uh, of the Trump administration, of their friends in the administration, to try to figure out what the real story is here. And you know, frankly, they may get some information that's not available to Democrats. We'll be interested to hear it. But yeah, I think, you know, by and large, Republicans do understand the seriousness of this moment. McConnell certainly didn't convey that in his remarks this morning, but I think he's got a a cabal of a dozen uh, or more of his members uh, who do uh, understand that we've got to guarantee uh, that this investigation proceeds. So I just think give them 24 hours to figure out if they are going to stonewall this or whether they are going to actually push uh, to open up a special prosecutor's office. I mean, the other thing, I'll just ask you one last question. I know you have a busy day ahead of you. We're talking to U.S. Senator Christopher Murphy. I mean, the other question that we have, and I guess there's no way to answer it, is this isn't an isolated example or an isolated incident. This comes close on the heels of the testimony of Sally Yates, the former acting attorney general who, who was uh, also fired. We know that that uh, General Michael Flynn is in kind of a, a vice right now uh, of investigations. Um, and, and one of the questions I think a lot of Americans have is, was the firing of James Comey an isolated incident, or is this going to be the Trump administration's response anytime it feels squeezed by anything, is to simply get rid of the closest representative of that problem? I know there's no way to answer that question, but it's got to be one that you and your fellow senators are, are wondering about. Yeah, listen, this certainly looks like a pattern of obstruction of justice, and we definitely have to ask some more questions here to be sure of that. Um, but uh, the the conduct is only heading in one direction, which runs commensurate to a set of facts that runs only in one direction, right? The story gets closer to one in which there was actual collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, and Trump's conduct to try to frustrate that, frustrate that investigation happens in only one direction all happening under the cover of a president who on many weeks continues to deny that the Russians actually were involved in the U.S. election, despite the fact that the entire intelligence community believes that to be uh, to be true. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's always a risk of normalizing the behavior of this administration. Right? We've never been through anything like this. Um, and this week, while bizarre, is, you know, in some ways only slightly more bizarre than most of the other weeks that we've gone through over the first 100 days. And we've got to remind the American public public that this is not what they should expect when it comes to conduct from the administration. All right. Senator Chris Murphy, we promised your people you'd be out at 150. We're on the tick. So uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Alan. All right. So um, we, we have open seas for the rest of the hour. And so I do want to invite some of you to call in. Some of you have called in. We're unable to hold. Some of you are on hold. I'll get to you right now. The number is 860-275-7266. Maybe there's something you specifically want to know, or you have a working hypothesis that hasn't been mentioned, um, or some aspect of this that we haven't dealt with. I'm going to go to Peter and Sean in just a second. I I just want to say an extra thank you today to Betsy Kaplan and Lydia Brown. Uh, As I said earlier, we're kind of shorthanded today, uh, Katie Tularski, uh, who's our executive producer and the kind of person who might uh, ordinarily pull something like this together for us is really under the weather. 
Uh, we uh, made her go home. Uh, Kion Wolf, our technical producer, is unavailable to us today as well. So uh, some stalwart people who I'm very happy to go into battle with stepped up. Uh, Betsy Kaplan and Lydia Brown, thank you. Um, all right, let's go to the phones here. 860-275-7266. Uh, here's Peter in Stanford. Hi, Peter. Yeah, hi. Uh, this is a historic day for NPR. All you need is uh, Chris Dodd and uh, Lieberman, and you get every senator from Connecticut since <laughs> Watergate. So my question is uh, the core supporters, the Duck Dynasty guys all across the nation are the core supporters for Trump, and they're also the core supporters of the Republicans in these gerrymandered districts all across the country. Fortunately, Connecticut doesn't have any gerrymandered districts, uh, you know, but uh, we're too small of a state. But what, how, what is it going to take for these, you know, Duck Dynasty guys or these uh, grandkids that uh, their grandfathers worked in the factories in, in uh, Ohio and Michigan? And, and, you know, they're the core supporters for the congressmen that are in these weird districts as well. What's it going to take for them to for, for Trump to lose them? Yeah, I think it takes much more than this. And I certainly just even taking a few calls today on the wheelhouse and just dealing with people on social media have heard from some of those people. And I mean, one of the things that I, I think one thing that we can say, let's how can I put this so it's it's judicious. I, I think one thing that one hypothesis that very closely matches observable reality is that what happened here, and it's certainly been reported by via anonymous sources, is that uh, Donald Trump instructed uh, Jeff Sessions and and Rod Rosenstein ultimately to write a letter that fires James Comey without mentioning the Russia investigation. Um, now, in the case of Sessions, it would be important to do it that way because he's not allowed to have anything to do, at least theoretically, with the Russia investigation. But, you know, so here's this letter. This letter ultimately damns James Comey for all of the things that Donald Trump formally praised him for doing. But it's just palatable enough. Like, if it existed all by itself in a vacuum, it was the only thing you knew and you read this letter, you'd think, oh, yes, the person that Rod Rosen Rosenstein is describing has to go. Uh, and everything that Rod Rosenstein says is absolutely 100 percent true. Now, in context, obviously, we know it doesn't make any sense. If this was a problem, they would have gotten rid of Comey a long time ago. But for people who want to believe in Donald Trump, they, you know, they, you give them enough so they can say, oh, no, well, the people who are objecting to this now are hypocrites. Uh, the people who are objecting to this right now are the people who, who never liked James Comey at all because of his handling of Hillary Clinton's candidacy. And I think, you know, with, with your true blue followers, your, your true red followers, that's what you do, Peter, right? You give them enough so that they can walk into a diner and, and offer a palatable explanation of how they feel. Yes, and some people will never, uh, you know, be swayed, you know, um, you know, with this, uh, you know, just divided nation, you're going to have. Uh, but you know, I think it's 80 percent was the figure of Republicans that supported him a couple weeks ago. We'll see if that number, the Rep Republican support, trickles down to 75, 70, or or 65 percent. Well, those are important numbers to watch because they will. Not that a person like Mitch McConnell, McConnell is completely responsive to that kind of barometer, but he's not not indifferent to it either. Oops, I just went to. Christy, I think she's not there. All right, uh, let me go to, we'll go to Ray in West Haven. Hi, Ray, you're on the air. Oh, you know what? He's got the radio on. Ray, turn your radio off and I'll come back to you. I'll go to Sean in Madison. Hi, Sean, you're on the air. Hey, Colin, how you doing? Good. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah, so just a couple of things have been brought up um, during the conversation today, but, I mean, it seems like, you know, firing Comey, 
it's like it seems that he was one instrumental, perhaps, in, in even getting Trump into office. So there's a little irony there in the fact that he was actually um, dismissed when, you know, he, he dropped that bombshell about the, the Clinton computer and all that stuff about 11 days before the voting. So there's that aspect. But, you know, also he, he addressed it before with Senator Murphy. But um, in terms of like what a smoking gun looks like, I mean, what are they really looking for? I mean, are they looking for something embedded in a server somewhere or like a hard drive? And I mean, what it, if so, it seems like something like that would be relatively easy to find or like, you know, with all the investigative IT muscle that the White House and the entire government must have, it seems like they would be able to come up with something sooner. And then I, I can't help but think about his wives and things like that in terms of Russia. And you know, is it that dark that it goes into the family? I don't, I don't really know. But it just seems like it's taking people a long time to come up with uh, an, an answer to uh, what his involvement really was with Russia. You know, he, he talked about all the countries that he worked with. I worked with China all the time. I worked with Russia all the time. He worked with everybody but Mexico, it seemed like. So, um, you know, I, I just wonder what his involvement has been with Russia and are familial ties to, right. to Russia. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there are things that we know. Uh, as Donald Rumsfeld would say, there are uh, known knowns and uh, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. The unknown unknowns are the, probably the, the smoking guns, and it would be probably irresponsible to speculate about what they are. All right, so let me just grab one last call here from Brian in Wallingford, and then we're going to have to say goodbye. Hi, Brian. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, Colin. Listen, um, I've been a longtime listener. Uh, I've been living in Connecticut 30 years, but I grew up on Long Island. I actually was born in Queens, not far from where um, President Trump was born. And uh, President Trump always reminded me, one of these guys at the end of the bar that was bragging and, and you know making a big show of everything. Um, but, you know, every, all the actions, it, um, and, and this latest action, I think, um, illustrates it the most that um, he um, he has something to hide. I mean, there's there's no question about it. And um, my daughter's a um, social studies teacher, and I um, talked to her. I said, "Well, look up Saturday Massacre. It's the same thing. If he, you know, the timing, the everything else, the whole smell test means that he is something that Comey was." digging into Comey was an idiot. Right. So um, I'm going to have to stop you there just because we're flat out of time, Ryan. Thanks for your call. But yeah, it does resemble Watergate in the sense that at a certain point, Richard Nixon realized that Archibald Cox was after more than just things like slush funds and hush money related to the break-in. Archibald Cox was going to explore everything about Richard Nixon and go into his personal finances and how money got into Richard Nixon's own private house and stuff like that. That's when he decided Archibald Cox had to go. I'm guessing James Comey had to go because he was venturing into areas President Trump is not interested in having ventured into. We have to stop right now. Thanks again to Betsy and Lydia. You guys are the best. We'll be back tomorrow with another really upsetting show.